BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We're going to bring y'all to our huddle. You are in. The Warriors Huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual, my producer Marcus. What's up, Dub Nation? Joining us, our master of all things sound, Maxine. How's it going? And boys, God, I'm fired up to announce coming back for the second time during the quarantine, although far too long between the two visits, the former Golden State beat writer, sports director, and editor for sfbay.ca, where she covered all things Warriors for more than three years, the new Utah Jazz beat writer for the Deseret News, and a woman who recently and somewhat surprisingly admitted to actually, quote-unquote, loving the fact that Marcus stocks her Twitter account, Miss Sarah Todd. What's going on, Sarah? You're welcome for being here. <laughs> uh, how's, uh, how's quarantine treating us? It's going okay. It's it's a weirdo mix. I was just telling Maxime, because I got to work through this, that every day feels like a Saturday that I have to work. Like, it's not a complete work day. I have some freedoms, but it's also not a complete free day. I have some responsibilities. And you add to that this kind of just the surreal feeling of all of it. Um, here, I'll answer your question with my own question. Sarah, is it okay to drink eight nights a week? That's a normal thing or what? Yeah, totally normal. I think I've said it before. We're on vacation rules during this whole thing. You can start drinking as early as you want and do it as often. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm all right. How are you? Much more importantly, how are you surviving this stuff? Uh, doing better these days. My parents brought my dog out to Utah uh, to hang out with me, and so I've got someone keeping me company now. That's great. Um, otherwise, I agree. It's like Saturday every day, and with no sports and no schedule, I mean, that's my whole world, so... I don't know what day it is, what time it is, any day. Marcus, has she been up to any strange activities online? Do you have any uh, any Twitter updates for us or any remarkable observations? Um, just that she almost poisoned her dog. <laughs> it seemed like oh wow. She she fed her dog a frosted mini wheat and then proceeded to ask Twitter if it was okay if the dog could eat that. It's like <laughs> you should ask that before you give the dog. That's because because Sarah, I, you thought we wouldn't find out. You know he's watching you. We are going to find out about these things. You should be embarrassed by this. I didn't feed the dog. I dropped one that I was eating and the dog lunged and and then and then I actually dropped two. One of them went under oh, the wow. couch. Here comes the truth. And, and then as I, I tweeted, I was like, uh, is this okay? And then as I was going for the one under the couch, I spilled the whole bowl. <laughs> and so then she ate like 10 and I was like, well, I guess we're going to find out if it's okay. 
I um, loved how this story slowly spilled out of you. I feel like we're in the middle of like a police interrogation. It opened up with like, no, I didn't figure anything. Okay, she only ate one. Now she's eaten half the box. I mean, you know, we're, we're getting the full tale here. I didn't feed it to her. It was an accident. <laughs> sure, sure you did not. Just uh, a frosted mini wheat. It wasn't like I like offered her chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Maxine, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down on Sarah as a dog owner so far? Well, Sarah, how many dogs are still living in your in your place? <laughs> <laughs> She's breathing. She's breathing. It's fine. <laughs> uh-huh. That was a long yeah. pregnant pause. The, the camera pans out and she's actually hand feeding her frosted mini wheat right now, just in large, large quantities. Uh, strangely enough, Sarah, although I could talk about this all day, we didn't bother you to come on here just to talk about the quarantine or your unhealthy dog feeding habits. There are all types of things we need your opinion on. And in fact, it's somewhat poetic that we're having you on. Here's why. The last time we had you on was, was the first pod we did when the NBA had been taken away from us. And today, for the first time, there's optimism that the NBA may be returning. So it's kind of cool that you're back. I was just reading an article from The Athletic that was suggesting that the league and the Lakers specifically were looking at Walt Disney World and maybe playing there as early as July 16th. And I also know that you just literally spoke to Mike Conley about a possible return uh, for the players in the NBA today. So let me just ask you this as far as a softball is concerned. Do in, uh, Based on your conversations, having talked with the players, with the people you've spoken with, is it your impression they would like to play again this season? Yeah, I think uh, I'd say 90% of the players that I've spoken to um, – they're on board. They want. They want to play. That's the thing is, they absolutely want the season to resume to play the playoffs. Um, they want to do it as long as they feel safe. And then there's another small fraction of players who are like, "How can you make us feel safe when there's not a vaccine for the coronavirus and there's not widespread testing?" There, you know, there's still a lot of concern, but for the most part players are on board and are confident that the nba is going to come up with a situation that would make them feel safe i think one of the the tricky parts too right is like the players with pre-existing conditions like larry nance jr is one who continues to say like if i have asthma and that's a pre-existing condition especially upper respiratory how do we manage against that yeah and i actually wrote about this today that that they're that certain set of players, they might actually end up the NBA coming back and having players that refuse to. And so, the, so then that'll have to be like a negotiation. Cause imagine the outrage by everybody in the world if the NBA comes back and someone says, well, like Larry Nance Jr., he has Crohn's disease, which makes him immunocompromised or Joe Ingles with the Jazz. Um, his wife is pregnant and he has a son who's four years old who uh, is autistic and with that comes immunocompensation as well. And so imagine those players saying, I'm not willing to take the risk. This puts me or my family in danger. And then the NBA saying, okay, we'll just withhold your salary. They're going to have to find a way to get around that because there are going to be players that aren't willing to do this, but the NBA just can't withhold their salary. Like that would, it would, it would be wrong, you know? They had better be thinking all of this out, every single angle, all of the permutations before a ball hits the hardwood, 
right? Yeah. I mean, if their only focus is how do we get back in the building, then it is going to be a gigantic failure. For example, what happens if somebody tests positive after they bring everybody back? What do they do? Do they, do they just shut it all down again? Does that team have to forfeit games? I mean, like, what is it that happens next? And all of these questions need to be posed and answered before they bring people back. It, it can't be a half-assed plan to make sure they're there. But, Sarah, you're in a unique position, right? So we can I can talk about this, but if they bring it back, I won't necessarily be going to the games. I cover them from afar. For you, talk to me about your own professionalism, your own professional life. Would you like to go back? How are you feeling about this? Yeah, I mean, I've thought about it because I, I mean, very specifically to my line of work, my que- my biggest question right behind is the NBA going to return is, will I be allowed there? Because we don't know the answer to that. Be- if you think about it, they're going to have to have some sort of broadcasting team there. And that's probably going to be end up being uh, ESPN and TNT, NBA TV, who's also under the Turner umbrella. And are they they'll have a broadcast team there but are they going to have sideline reporters if they're going to have any sort of sideline reporter then it gets into an area where it's like well you can't allow some reporters to be there but not others but if you're going to allow like all full-time beat writers to be there then you're talking about um 75 100 people being there for a full-time beat writer plus then are you going to say okay well only beat writers but not like broadcasters from like regional stations and you get into a whole messy area there. But if if we're allowed there and if they're like, okay, you'll be under the same safety umbrella and tested daily as the players are or whatever their measures are going to be. Um, it's weird because I feel like I've been one of the more cautious people during this whole coronavirus thing. I've been, you know, sticking to all the protocols and everything and staying out of I haven't, I mean, I haven't been somewhere with more than one person in two months and, but my professionalism, I feel like my journalistic mind is operating on a separate level. Cause if somebody said like, we're going to do this, you know, beat writers are allowed. I'm going to get on the plane and go. Sure. I'll be there. Yeah. That makes and, perfect sense to me. Uh, I know that there would be risk involved and I kind of assume that the way that my, the way that my head is moving is probably a lot like the players where they're thinking, I mean, Adam Silver has told them there will be risk in anything that we do. There will be like a small amount of risk. We're going to try to minimize it as much as we can, but it's, you know, you being comfortable with that risk. And for me to do that job, um, I feel like I would be okay with that small amount of risk. Uh, even though, even if it sounds stupid, (laughs) Let's quantify some of this. So I got some over-unders just to kind of give us all a sense of how we feel about this and when it'll come back. Here's my first one. Over-under on when the first NBA basketball game will be played from here. I'll put it in July 16th, mid-July. Maxime, I'll go to you first. Over-under. I mean, it's looking like that's going to be... Right, that's about what they're reporting right now. But my guess is over. Just based on all the logistical questions that you just dropped... I don't think there's any chance that it's going to happen before. I've, if we had had this conversation an hour ago, I would have said over, way over. But since then, literally in the last hour, that article I just told you about wasn't the only thing I read. I also saw something from uh, Newsom 
that California is saying as early as June 1st, they would consider the reopening of sporting uh, venues. And California has been playing this stuff so close to the vest. I've been really proud to be a California that if they are saying that and there's all this money involved and, and we're getting this media swell, I'll take the under. Uh, Sarah, what do you got? July 16th, what do you think? Yeah, I think I'm going to take the over. Mine's based on kind of what I'm hearing about the timeline that the NBA would be taking between now and then. Huh. So we're we're hearing that the NBA might be issuing guidelines to teams to be able to recall players to their local markets for players that have left local markets uh, on June 1st. And so let's say that they they put out that announcement and it's like all right let's get the players back let's say they get them back by june 5th into local markets then the nba is going to want to quarantine anyone that's traveled for two weeks so you go two uh, two weeks out from that you're into the 20s in june and then individual workouts followed by the start of group activities and a little mini training camp that leads up to that and that's going to run roughly probably five weeks for that whole amount of time for individual workouts and then like a two to three week training camp. And I think that's going to put us down at like late July. So like after the 25th, I think. So I'd take the over. I really wish I had asked you before I'd went and then I would have just calmly (laughs) said, yeah, I was hearing the exact same stuff and it would have seemed like I was really well informed. In fact, maybe we'll just edit this. Maxim, just edit this and make it sound that exact way. Marcus, you get the benefit of hearing everybody else. What do you think? Yeah, I just pre- pretty much agree with Sarah. That was my exact na- analysis. Yeah, shocking. I hate um, you guys. Let the record reflect that before we hit record, Marcus came on kind of late, and the second he said hi, everybody on the call goes, oh, it's Marcus's great deep voice. So even before we hit record, I was in a weird place with Marcus. So we'll see. Uh, Such a great stalker. <laughs> yes. I hate you, Sarah. I will I, say, though, I mean, I think part of it is dependent. I mean, Florida has been open. Florida and Georgia were two of the states that, opened up early and you know if it happens in orlando i think that's the place that it would happen if they do end up playing the season you know orlando's in florida so i think they clear that hurdle pretty quickly but i think it's dependent on what type of wait where's orlando would you mind double checking that geographical knowledge (laughs) (laughs) Um, but i think it's dependent on what you know like if they play the rest of the regular season or if they just jump to a tournament style like i think how they play it. I mean, everything Sarah said is correct. You still can't speed up getting professional athletes up to playing speed and playing health when they've been off for so long. But, um, you know, like as a tournament, like it, it, it changes it a little bit because you don't have to get so many, so many logistical things in order. So two follow-up questions and they both deal with what you just brought up. Here's the first over under on regular season games they play before the playoffs start if they come back this year i put it at three would you like to go first i i I was going to but now it doesn't seem anywhere near as like professional i was gonna like take it like it was gonna be a real slow build up (laughs) and then i was gonna throw it towards you and maybe the audience would forget that i wanted to go second and now that whole thing is screwed so just go ahead sarah my whole plan is screwed up now so the whole thing about the amount of games that there would probably play before starting the playoffs has to do with contracts that the NBA and the teams have with regional uh, broadcasting because... Yeah, I was going to say that. That's exactly what I was going to say if I'd gone first. That makes sense. In order order for the the NBA to to keep all of the revenue from the regional stations, 
they have to reach a 70 game threshold. Hmm. So if we're at 63, 64 ish games for each team right now, then they'll probably play like seven games to get to that 70 game threshold so that they can have a hundred percent of that revenue. Wow. And do you think they'll do that? So do you take the over? I mean, will the, will the absolutely. I mean, if the NBA can get together and play games and they're going to play the playoffs, then in order to get that money, I mean, it's a business and the NBA wants that money because they're losing a ton of revenue by not having games in arenas right now. So if there's a way for them to play seven games, they're going to do it. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you saw the NFL just said that they're going to lose $5.5 billion by not having fans in the stands this season, which is like a third of their revenue. So um, you can only imagine what it hits for the NBA as well. There's a psychological component to this that kind of entertains me, and we're kind of dancing around it now. So what you guys are pointing out, if we look at it from the economic side, right? And so do we as a society want sports back? And that's what I mean by the psychological angle. From a financial angle, from just like brass tacks, you know, from, from an Excel sheet, if we bent over backwards and made sure the NBA came back, really what we're doing is making sure a very, very, very small percentage of society gets all of that money they had uh, you know, otherwise not been getting, and we increase the risk. You know, we're, we're, we are, we're putting people in a small space next to one another. So I think a question becomes, well, what's the psychological upside of it? How much of an upside is there having sports back in our life, some kind of a distraction while we're stuck in this quarantine? Um, and, you know, that's not something necessarily we're qualified to answer. But, I mean, let me ask it this way. Do you guys, does everybody on this, on this pod desperately want sports back? Is, is there no question in your mind that it's the right thing to bring it back? I desperately want it back, yeah. but... I've also survived the last couple of months. Like right. I think as a as a human problem, like yes, the smart thing would do just wait till a vaccine and not put anyone at risk, but you know, corporations, businesses and the NBA which is a huge business, they care about money and it's proven in the past from different problems that they've had to face that money is going to trump a lot of things when it comes to the NBA. When we saw it with the whole like China debacle, like they were willing to shut down free speech in the spirit of trying <laughs> to keep some relations with China. And so if, you know, and that, and that's coming from a league that is supposed to be one of the most outspoken progressives in the world. And so if there's a chance for them to recoup some of that revenue and actually get some money from the broadcasting that a playoffs tournament would have they are absolutely going to do it and it and i don't think that it's going to become like a human problem versus a business problem i think it's just going to be like hey is everyone comfortable with this cool let's do it let's do it right yeah i agree and i would add to that i think it still feels like we're okay without it because we're still in this super abnormal life of being sheltered and in place and you know like as soon as life goes back to normal in other ways or whatever the new normal is i think it'll be it'll be magnified how much we miss sports so i think as we're still forced into this you know like staying at home it's it's because it's what we're used to we're used to being at home without sports but as soon as we go back out and states start opening up and we hit phase three and more states um then i think it's going to be like okay we need this back 
Well, there's an untouchable value to this too, right? Let's say we're still stuck inside, but they do bring back sports. What is it worth to all of us who have nothing else going on? Let me put it this way. Every Sunday, I'm a little bit more excited than Monday through Saturday. And that will no longer be true. But the reason that was up until now is because I knew the last dance would be on. I had something I was kind of excited for, you know? And, and that excitement, that escape is invaluable um, and a very good reason about why they should bring the NBA back. Where are you on this, Maxine? I, I'm still concerned about um, the like double dipping effect of uh, things opening back up only to cause another spread. I mean, it's insane how fast this thing spread and the degree to which we didn't know was happening until it was kind of too late. And I'm just really worried about, you know, even a microcosm like the NBA it has like far-reaching consequences so that concerns me um i and i you know i like again i i i'm just like everybody else i would love to have sports back um and i and i'm also aware of sort of the longer term implications of this stuff right i mean if you start thinking about revenue depressing like that that impacts players salaries it impacts all sorts of movement throughout the nba so you know every day that revenue is lost um it's like another year or something until we get back to a normal situation and like you know for my fandom personally i'm not interested in in seeing a depressed economy for the nba for the next five or ten years let me let me shift it um and this goes more towards marcus and maxi but i don't think we'll see any fans this year you know if when they come back i'm sure these are going to be empty arenas in walt disney world um and they'll you know they'll have to deal with the fan return next year but at some point fans will come back and i I bet that when they come back, it's not going to be full capacity. You know, there, there's going to be some baby steps the same way that restaurants. Um, I've got friends who own bars out here, and it's my understanding that California is probably going to open up at 30 capacity or 30% capacity to start. Let's assume that NBA games do the exact same thing. Would you guys go? So next year they open up. It's, you know, they, they, we are allowed to go to games, but it's going to be 30% filled. And I would imagine everyone is, is in there wearing masks. Would you have interest in rolling? Nope. Is is that straightforward, MT? Why? Straight straightforward. I just I will be watching from the sidelines and just seeing how it plays out. Because I think to Maxine's point, like it's so we don't know enough about how it's transmitted, and the parts that we do know, we know it's just highly infectious. And I just I'm. It's, it's the same way I buy an iPhone. Like I don't buy the first one. And then, you know, like one of the people that are submitting the bugs that are there, like, oh man, this part is broken and this part doesn't work. Like, I don't want to be the test case for, you know, how it spreads in an arena. I'm going to sit back there and be like, oh man, that's crazy. You guys shouldn't have gone. And then once it clears up a little bit, then I'll be in that second wave. That's me. I'm the guy waiting out, out in front of the iPhone store to buy it hell of early and then return it. Cause it doesn't goddamn work. So you're, you're really just having success on my back. Oh boy, Brand, This is another one of those situations where you should have uh, let me go first, because what I was going to say is uh, I'm exactly in Marcus's camp specifically because I know that the people that are going to be the early adopters are the idiots that are less worried about the consequences and are therefore more likely to have COVID than the uh, 60 or 70% that aren't going to go. I'll have you know I would have given the same response have I gone second. <laughs> F yourself. That is what it is, you know? Um, I, I think I would go, but what you guys are saying makes perfect sense. Here, I'll, let me put this a different way. Um, to speak intelligently on this damn disease at this stage is terrifying and unfounded. 
And the idea of wanting to see how it plays out before jumping into the middle of it is probably a smart one. We keep talking about, okay, the second that they have a vaccine, that's when, you know, everything will start getting back to normal and we'll, we'll go from there. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who is a doctor and I asked him over under five years, five years, when do you think the vaccine will come? And he said over, way over. And the example he gave me was, when's the last time you took a vaccine for the cold? And I, you know, coughed or laughed. I mean, I wasn't sure what to do. And he said, yeah, you haven't, right? Because one doesn't exist. And we've been plagued by the cold for our entire lives. The fact that there is something out there does not mean that we'll necessarily develop something to counteract it. Um, and That's so- apples to oranges a little bit, right? I mean, I think, you know, the common cold, you make more money treating it than you do curing it. Huh. I'm not saying that they could figure it out. I don't know how they figure out, you know. Well, it depends on the company. For that. I don't but, know if that's necessarily true. If, if but, it's, but there's, there's, but the the fact that COVID-19 has shut down the entire globe and impacted economies the way it has, I think there's more reasons for it to at least be contained or for there to be, if not a vaccine, then just, you know, some kind of treatment that, allows you to be inoculated. The impetus, you mean like cancer and they haven't necessarily been able to to solve that one? I mean, the the reason why I think it's apples to apples, I understand what you're saying, that one of them is far more serious, so the urgency behind finding its cure will also be far more serious. But I guess the thing that stuck with me is the fact that there is a disease does not mean that there is a vaccine for it. Um, And and to fit it into the, the question I'm asking you now, it's probably a smart move to slow roll it you know did not be an early adopter the way that that maxime has said it but i i cut you off sarah what were you gonna add uh, a couple things like as far as the cold is concerned like we also have built up immunities against the common cold and that's not the case with a new virus and so i mean if we're you know broadcasting into the future like are we gonna wait until we've built up immunities or wait until a vaccine like those are probably way out into the future but like just theoretically let's say they get in they develop a vaccine next year and people are able to get it and they can go around safely it creates a whole other logistical problem when we're talking about the nba because if you're going to allow fans to come into the arena that have the vaccine are you then going to be like requiring fans to show their vaccination records right. and to get into an nba game like that's a whole nother dystopian really future yeah. yeah it's a very problematic thing and and i mean before we came on air we were talking about kind of the personal freedoms that people have developed and are their expectations of those in this country and could you imagine the outrage that people would have if you said that they had to show their vaccination records to get into an NBA game? Sure. And you could just Photoshop those, right? Like you could just, I mean, ticket scalpers will be selling immunization passes. <laughs> yeah. And that, yeah. And there's, I mean, exactly. There's a whole nest of problems that would come from that. And so, I mean, like you said, they're probably going to do baby steps in rolling this out. And I mean, I'd like to be the person that says like, no, I wouldn't go to an arena, but I will be there. I have to be there. And I mean, if they're allowing people in an arena, technically my employer is going to give me the option on whether, whether or not I feel safe to be there. But I'm going, I'm going. Yep, I understand. And I will be the most masked, gloved 
hand sanitizer bathed person in that building. Just a hazmat suit. Just wear a hazmat yeah. suit. Just go all the way. Because it doesn't make me feel comfortable. It doesn't make me, the idea of being in an arena with a lot of people does not make me feel comfortable. Of course not. Of course it doesn't, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Um, you've answered these, but I want to put a bow on this. So give me yes or no's to these, right? Do you think the NBA will return? Yes. Do you think there'll be a regular season? Yes. Do you think there'll be a full playoffs? Um, so it used to take 16 wins to win a full playoffs and, and walk away as a champion. Do you think it'll take 16 wins this year? I still think they're going to do every round best of seven. Yes. There you go. And do you think a single fan will watch a game live for the remainder of this year? Absolutely not. Yeah, there you go. Let's transition. Um, and so, Sarah, we've been doing this, but we haven't had the benefit of doing it with you, so I'm really excited for it. We do a segment called Enjoying the Dance, where we kind of go back through random things from the last dance. And this might be our last one. Since we've run out of episodes, we've got a bunch of different random approaches. But for today, we're going to do down the rabbit hole where I come out with uh, with questions I have. And here's the first one. And I think it's, it's perfectly suited for you. So, so a little bit of background. Every week when we do this, at some point, Marcus finds a reason to whine that this is not the perfect... Uh, documentary experience because Jordan has the final word on um, each episode that he gets to curate them as he comes out. As yeah, a he's my Jordan. Okay, as a journalist, does that bother you? When when you are watching this, do you not like that he has the final word? No, I, I mean I'm not watching this as like a piece of investigative journalism. Exactly. I'm watching it as a piece of entertainment. That's uh, okay. I could not agree more. I I. What the reason I want to watch this is so that it passes the time and leaves me entertained, as you've put it. The the best forms of entertainment for me are movies. You know what movies are not somehow journalistically uh, or filled with journalistic integrity. You know that they're not trying to tell a story regardless of whether or not it is true. They're trying to tell the most entertaining version of a story. That's all the hell this is. You know that they, they, it may not be giving both sides of who he is, but it's as entertaining as it could possibly be, and it doesn't necessarily bother me that that they're not giving us every single side of the coin. Um, well, I'll I'll go a little bit further with that because it's not just movies. I have I always make sure to like say this to people or mention it or just think it myself when I'm watching a documentary. Like even if it's a very serious investigative documentary that movie still had to be funded by some sort of company by like whether it's you know it's usually not like Warner Brothers or Fox but like whatever studio is funding that they had to give my and it's all meant for entertainment they're putting it out to the masses as a piece of entertainment it's not like a documentary is being produced and sold from a credible newspaper on their own studio they created that's just not how it happens and so even with document there's always a slant there's always a bias and so when this was created i knew it was going to be who else would have the final word he's michael fucking jordan <laughs> he's, of course he's the king of both thing of course it made him look better than he probably was i really don't care i just love hearing him talk can you imagine any other player Really, not just player, anybody on the face of the planet in the history of words using the phrase black Jesus and sounding cool as opposed to like 
pompous and awful. I mean, just just the fact that the second that story came out of Reggie Miller's mouth, I was smiling as hard as I could possibly smile. But I digress because I have another uh, question that's just for you. So another thing we saw was Jordan walking into the 98 finals and he's feeling himself, right? We had just seen him singing singing to himself, the Kenny Lattimore song that had come just to him on the bus. Lattimore has never been that great. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. If Jordan says Kenny Lattimore is the goat, then he is the goat. But but Jordan gets off the bus and, and a reporter comes out to him and he asks him something. Jordan doesn't hear it. And Jordan says, the answer to that question is yes, no, or maybe. And chuckles to himself. And then another reporter comes up. Jordan doesn't listen to that dude either and gives the exact same response. Sarah, if that was you, would you be kind of pissy if somebody said the answer to that is yes, no, or maybe? Yeah, I'd definitely be pissy. And I, I thought about it in the terms of like when you saw Marshawn Lynch or uh, even Russell Westbrook um, against um, <laughs> the guy at the Oklahoman. Uh, when players do that, it's infuriating. And I've had it happen a couple of times with different players throughout the years, uh, just bypassing questions or giving non-answers. And it's the most infuriating thing. On the other side of that, though, I've never been around a player like Michael Jordan. Okay, so and I I want you to be honest about this because here's my follow-up question. I'll go first, though, to give you some cover. If that's me and I ask him a question and he gives me that response, internally, I'm furious. I'm furious. I've come up with that question. I somehow got to the front of the media throng. I got to ask him something, and he houses me. But publicly when he does that i fake laugh like no one's ever seen i want jordan to like me so i'm just like ah that's great all right for you you do it he gives you that response we now know internally you're angry outwardly would you fake laugh like me or or how would you handle it all right there's a there's a couple things to that actual scenario that i want to point out so to answer your question uh, I fake laugh and then I write it. I say, Jordan <laughs> refused to answer the question instead saying yes, no, maybe. And I just, he, that's the answer he gave me. That's the answer I use. I like so, that. Fine. <laughs> and, but I think that it's important to notice what was happening. You said he was walking into the 98 finals. So it's right after he got out of his car or a team bus or wherever it was that he got out of. Now that's not a, I mean, access was different and people had a lot more access reporters could be in that area and chase them down as they headed to the locker room. You can't do that anymore. Reporters aren't allowed in that area. Not only that, but even back then, that was not a time when he was required by the NBA to give anything to the media. So before the game, as he's walking from his car to the locker room, those are not like the beat writers who are going to be in the locker room afterwards or that are going to be at the press conference afterwards. Those are all like TV station reporters and people who are not like there every day that are running after him and trying to get the bit. And so for those people, for I'm I'm sure for Jordan, he was looking around and it's not like Sam Smith was there running after him asking a question. It was like someone he's never seen before. And so for him to be walking in, not required to talk to anyone, just trying to get to the locker room, I actually don't think I'm mad at him doing that at all. (laughs) 
I, I, I love that. I also will tell you that it is now a life goal of mine at some point when someone asks me a question that I turn to them and say, the answer to that question is yes, no, or maybe, and they just keep walking. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, it's kind of a pie in the sky aspiration, but I want it. Uh, MT, let me throw this one to you. True or false? The fact that Brian Russell talked to Jordan when he was a rookie and Jordan was retired for the first time, and then Jordan came back and hit the shot on his ass. In fact, hit two game-winning shots in finals, one in 97 and one in 98, makes the entire story way better. What do you think? True, absolutely true. <laughs> I'm, I'm just surprised he didn't refer to Brian Russell as a hoe throughout the whole Bitch ass last hoe. episode. Bitch ass hoe, although that's, that's yeah. Scotty Burrell. You know what I mean? That's only that's one true. person that he can throw that to. <laughs> you so. see the part where um, Ahmad Rashad is like, some can and some can't. Don't tell and, that to Scotty Michael, Burrell. It'll and Michael him said, forever. what? He said, some can't, some can. He said, don't tell that to Scott. He'll be scared of shit of Scott Burrell. <laughs> over and over again. Unbelievable. So funny. Like, or, just out of nowhere. Like, why? This Scott has nothing to do with this. Why are you picking on him? The, the thing with Russell, when he casually drops, like, yeah, you know, Carl and John are practicing, so I go and stop them. And then Russell comes up and talks that crap to me. And I tell Carl, come get your boy. And then he says, yeah, on that day, Russell made my list. I don't know what was more f***ing awesome. The idea that Jordan just casually shows up to practice because he knows superstars and wants to interact with them or that he has a list of people that he needs to punish publicly and make sure that they never say anything back to him again. Uh, yeah, and I'll just add one last thing to that. The, their, the producer or director said there were two people they asked to be a part of the show that said no, and they were Carmelone and... Brian Russell. <laughs> I, the, the other thing, actually, I'm, I'm glad you said that because it reminded me. What I loved about the, uh, the back and forth on that is that Jordan also casually reveals when Russell said that he had watched him in college and said he was a good, uh, a good defender, but he was all momentum and he stayed on his toes. And the reason that stuck out to me is because he used that knowledge on that last shot in 98. He, he knew that he was going to blow by him and used his momentum and the fact that he was on his toes and not the balls of his feet against him, which is awesome. But Sarah, let me ask you this. So you know there, there's, there's an antagonistic relationship between Warriors fans and LeBron. We understand who the hell he is. I understand his skill set. But because of the relationship, you know, what he's done in finals games against our team, I'm not a big fan of his. Michael Jordan and Jazz fans, is there animosity? Like, uh, how does that work? Do they hate each other or, or what's up there? I mean, in the split into two groups, um, and I'd say it's like 70-30, maybe more than that. And the larger group is the group that absolutely hates Michael Jordan. Uh, he He's not black Jesus. He's the devil. And he, I mean, one of the first things that I was asked when I got to Utah, I mean, as soon as people found out that I got the job and that I was going to be the beat writer. Do you recognize Jordan as the was, devil? Well, immediately I was flooded with the Jordan push off. And what it was, was your just answer? I, I refuse to answer that question. Because what was your I, answer, Sarah? You've got to give me an answer. If, if it has to be off air, you can give it to me off air, but I need your answer to that question. i would give it to you off air. <laughs> 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 because it, either way I go as the jazz beat writer, it's, it's a horrible result for me because if I go Jordan put off, then it sounds like I'm trying to be a Homer. And if I do no, he didn't push off, then no one's ever going to read my stuff again. 
I, I just made a face that hopefully telegraphs to anybody who saw it that I'm really worried about some of the not so pro Utah questions I have for you later in this in this interview. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to keep those right in pocket. Uh, I'll answer the push off thing. So there was an angle they gave us of that shot that I don't think I've ever seen. It was a side angle. Um, and Bob Costas gave an explanation for it. And what he said is he didn't push off. He, he the, that Brian Russell was already on his way to that spot and Jordan showed him to that spot the way a Mater D shows somebody to a table. He's right. He's right. That second angle illustrated that 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 Russell's momentum had already brought him past Jordan and he he lightly brushed him. He didn't even really touch him. And, and I, you know, I would be the type of person who said he pushed him off and I'm happy he did. But having seen that. I don't think he pushed off. What do you boys think? 100%. I think you can even just see it in the lack of, like, muscle flexor, right? I mean, that dude is completely ripped. You'd be able to tell if he used any force to move him, and he didn't. That's exactly right. MT? Yeah, I agree. I mean, Michael Jordan is strong, but he's not that strong to move. You know, Brian Russell's a big guy, so I don't think he was strong enough to move him with his offhand in that way and push off. But, you know, I mean, it, you know, same can be said if, if that's a push off, but Reggie Miller bumping into him and hitting that shot at the buzzard <laughs> in the earlier playoff series a couple years before that was not a push off, then, you know, like you're just not being honest. A couple of unfortunate admissions. Admission number one, I'm apparently such an old school Jordan fan that when Jordan hit that shot at the end of the documentary, he hits the shot in, uh, against Russell and they win the championship in 98. I celebrated in my room. I legitimately like, I laughed out loud and then cheered and my wife came back and said, what's wrong with you? Our kid is sleeping. So <laughs> so there's that. And I, you know, I don't feel super good about that. It is what it is. In fact, I feel so bad about that. I'm going to save my second admission. Uh, because I think it'll be better as a tease. Instead, Sarah, let me ask you this. Well, wait, you... I do want to say that the other group of Utah fans, the ones that aren't like completely anti-Jordan, I, uh, I put out sort of a call on my Twitter and I was like, what were your lasting memories or impressions of The Last Dance after it wrapped up? And there was a good amount of people that sent me messages saying, you know, I've always hated Jordan. Those were the worst years of my life. I remember how <laughs> devastated I was, but... After watching this, I have way more respect for him. Okay, all right. I, I, I will answer that honesty with my own honesty. Here's the second point that came up. Watching Reggie hit that shot, you know, so the, the, the three-pointer that, that took him over made me furious about game six against Toronto because how the hell did Steph miss that three at the end of the game? You know, because like Reggie was supposed to make it. He was supposed to get it. He was supposed to take it. He was supposed to make it. Reggie got it. He took it. He made it. Steph was supposed to get it. He was supposed to take it. He was supposed to make it. How the hell did that shot not go in? But that's not what this podcast is about. Instead, <laughs> let me ask you this. Sarah, if you ordered a pizza and five dudes, five guys delivered it, would you eat the pizza? I probably wouldn't even think about it. I mean, I... I would probably be like, that's weird that so many people showed up. To, but I mean, we're talking about me, not Michael Jordan. <laughs> okay. no, I'd okay. be, like, be like, this is really weird, but damn, that pizza smells good. If and you were so, an NBA yeah, superstar, would you? Because what it seemed like to me was like that scene from Dumb and Dumber where like the, the burger is spiked with peppers or whatever. And the guy sits down and he's like, hey, yeah, how you doing? I don't know. How's your burger? So what are you going to ask me? Vacation? Why don't you eat up and we'll tell you. This doesn't seem like you packed much. Uh, all I saw was one bag and that briefcase. 
No, no, the briefcase isn't even ours. Some lady left at the airport. We're just bringing it back to her. How's your burger? You know, like the idea that five people showed up. Why don't you like, eat up and we'll tell you. Exactly. Like, there is there is no better way to show that this was hell of shady than showing up with five people. No, but hold on, hold on, hold on. Did they say, hey, we're ordering a pizza for Michael Jordan? No, Our, there's no chance, right? They just said, hey, we're ordering a pizza. Please bring it by a hotel. That There's no guarantee that that's anybody, right? So well, like, I just don't since, buy this argument at all. Yeah, they've, they've since tracked down the... the the guy so allegedly. you know like yeah allegedly so you have to take that whole side of the story <laughs> yeah, with a grain of salt on, but apparently was he was a chicago bulls fan he yeah. made the pizza himself he said there was only two guys there weren't five he asked he got onto the floor it smelled like cigar smoke everybody knew it was like oh pizza and they said oh that's for mike and they left it alone all the other players he opens the door and says can i say hi to him grover opens it and mike waves hi and then they leave so I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and then he dumps a bunch of poison into the pizza and exactly. gets <laughs> hell of sick. If LeBron James had been poisoned the night before finals, how fast before we find out about that story? So it took Jordan 22 years, 22 years. If that's what happened to tell us, I'd submit to you guys that if it happened at nine 15, the night before the finals, we'd know about it by nine 16. Well, I've, no, heard the, I've heard the food poisoning story before. So that's been out there. God damn it, Sarah. Uh, I mean, you just destroyed <laughs> what I felt like was a great F you LeBron story or at least a question. And now it seems useless. And I didn't know. I'll answer it. I think he, I think, you know, at the media table right after the game, because LeBron brings in like a colonoscopy bag or something like that just shows just how crazy. <laughs> There's had no, no way idea. it goes that long. There's no way. It, <laughs> I mean, three o'clock in the morning, he throws up and he has to get an IV. We've got a story by three thirty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's the first question that I think you may not uh, be willing to answer. But Sarah, has John Stockton always looked a little bit like E.T. or did that just happen <laughs> recently? Because I don't remember that at all during his playing days. And then every time they showed him during the documentary, and I'm a huge Stockton fan, but I was making like E.T. references, like phone home, like that kind of stuff. So recent or what? I'm not. Oh my god, I'm a huge ET fan. So uh, <laughs> ET or John Stockton, because they're basically synonyms. They're both great, great at giving assists. <laughs> um, I never thought of him as looking like ET, and now I can't think of anything else. No, he wait till you look at it. Anyone who's listening to this, please go back and look at him. It's unbelievable. It's the eyes. It's unbelievable. That's beautiful. I love it, Bram. I'll give you a better question. Did you cry during the Steve Kerr section? Oh my God, how could you not? <laughs> You'd have to be a robot, dude. Like that, I cried like immediately. I knew where it was going. And when they asked him the question, did you guys ever talk about your dads? I immediately teared up. Like there was no time in between that at all. Yeah, there's, you know, there's people uh, here in Utah, writers and uh, I mean, people across the country that had never heard those stories before. Of course, like a lot of people who have been around Steve Kerr or Warriors fans are probably familiar with that story. Um, and as reporters, we've heard parts of that before. And I've talked to Steve multiple times throughout the years and uh, have a good relationship with him. And I just like know how kind and genuine of a person he is. And as soon as the question came out and he kind of shook his head, I was waterworks immediately. Immediately. And, and you know what really stuck out to me? And it's a random take. But Kerr reveals that he, he genuinely thinks about his father during the national anthem. 
And the second he thought or said that, you know what I thought of was his fights with Trump. Can you imagine that this guy yeah. whose father died for his country and and now he has this he, he's in this ongoing public battle with an idiot of a president i mean it, it must occupy such a personal space for him um and and the other thing that stuck to me i don't think you could come up with a better gestation period for a coach i mean the, the what i learned from this last one was as a kid he watched john wooden so what I'm hearing is as a kid, he learned from Wooden. As a collegiate, he learned from Lute Olsen. As a pro, he learns from Phil Jackson, Greg Popovich, and Michael Jordan. And along the way, he learns to stick up to the world's most competitive f***ing human being and wins a series of titles. I mean, if you literally had to, like, handpick someone's experience to get them ready to coach a dynastic team, I feel like that's the path I'd like them to take. Yeah, I mean, so much of Kerr's story is so amazing. I mean, uh, the timing of him becoming a coach and uh, everything that's happened throughout his life and the things that he stands for, it just like all melds together so beautifully. And the fact that he was able to win championships with his first team and the group that he has as a team, it just like everything fit a little too perfectly. It seems like it's a little bit too good to be true, but... I, it just made me more proud of him watching the documentary. I was like, man, he deserves everything that he's gotten. Did you see the the story that they added on there? I don't think they covered it in the documentary, but um, about Arizona State's fan base. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. So the so Steve Kerr went to University of Arizona um, when he was playing. That's when his his dad was was killed, and they go to play Arizona State. And as they're warming up, like 30 minutes before the game starts, there's a few thousand fans in Arizona State's arena. And some of them start chanting PLO, PLO, and a, sub, and a couple other like Jesus. chants that basically are making fun of Steve Kerr's dad just getting murdered. And Steve Kerr said, luckily it was before the game tipped off, so I had enough time to go back in the locker room and compose myself. But he comes out like goes six for six from the three point line and leads the team in scoring and they blow out Arizona state by 28, 30 points. But to me, it just reinforced how much I hate Arizona state's fan base now. (laughs) And I think that is a subconscious way of why Steve Kerr doesn't like James Harden. (laughs) I love that. Also, I didn't know that Arizona state had fans. So, I mean, (laughs) that's, that's upsetting to learn. Yeah, it's crazy though. I mean, why would you go to a arena and cheer for the death of a player? Like, that's just, oh no, it's weird. It's it's Toronto level classlessness. That's exactly there you right. Go. I, I, you know, the the all of the the Steve Kerr section was unbelievable, and I was so proud to be a Warriors fan watching that. Uh, it was really cool. The one thing that it did leave me longing for was a little bit more of a candid. Um, uh, take from Steve about the punch. Um, I just feel like it was it was totally doctored into the Jordan mythos, and like I actually want to know what Steve Kerr says about it because I think it says a lot about leadership, especially now watching. He Steph. protected him. Exactly. What, what I thought we saw was um, that Kerr even then knows how to deal with next level players because you hear both of them recount the punch. And when Kerr talks about it, he acknowledges that Jordan reached out to him afterwards, but that's it, that they talked about it and that they moved on. 
when Jordan talks about it, he acknowledges, yeah, I reached out to him and I apologized. And I thought the idea that Kerr did not uh -huh. reveal that Jordan apologized was such a savvy social maneuver. That's just someone who knew where he was in that in the social dynamic and didn't want to put Jordan on blast, which I which I absolutely loved. Which leads to, and this might be my most serious question today. Um, but does anyone else get the impression that David Aldridge would like to make out with Michael Jordan? <laughs> am I am I wrong on that, or I, you know, just 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 something I've picked up over the last ten episodes? I am not here to slander David Aldridge. He is a wonderful <laughs> human being. Oh, Absolutely not. Then I'm going to have to cross off the next five questions. No <laughs> problem. I'll ask you uh, about a different interaction. Was there a better interaction between any two people? than the four-word interaction that Jordan the player and Larry Bird the coach exchanged. Oh. Quote, you bitch, f*** you. That was it. And then they just oh. walked by each other, and that's all they had to say to one another. It was like all I ever needed to see on <laughs> any screen ever. It's all I've ever wanted. Because, I mean, if there <laughs> a few things, some context. So first of all, Larry Bird and Michael Jordan are two of my favorite players ever. Larry Bird is absolutely just one of my I love him so much and that documentary that came out years ago I think it's uh the courtship of rivals and it's about uh, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson as like one of the best documentaries I've ever seen I love oh my god it's so, I watch it like once a year it's so I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube everyone can go watch it it's amazing and it makes me cry every time all of that to say but I will cry at just about anything. I have the smallest hair trigger cry in the world. <laughs> like, I mean, something makes me happy, I cry. I'm frustrated, I cry. I'm sad. It's all all over the board. And if it involves sports, it just makes me cry. Jordan made me cry when he started to get choked up. I think it was in, like, the third or fourth episode. Larry Bird, I could just about cry every time I see him because I love him so much. <laughs> and those people, two of the most, like, they're such idols in my brain. And so for the two of them to come together and for the conversation to be, you bitch, fuck you. It was all I've ever wanted. Exactly and right. I am not going to lie. I shed a tear because I awesome. thought it was so you, you should have. I also imagine you probably cried in the early interaction between Magic, Larry, and Jordan that we got in that All-Star game oh, when we saw him going God. back and forth. And so beautiful. I, I will give Larry credit for the greatest quote I've ever heard during a press conference. And I think it came out of that documentary you're talking about. But somebody asked Larry during his collegiate time, what do you say to your teammates who are jealous of the attention you're getting. And he said, they're jealous of me. I never got to play with Larry Bird, which is the most <laughs> yeah. amazing F you could like answer that has ever been uttered at any point ever. Uh, here is another question I had for you. Which fans do you think are more inherently racist? Utah fan or Indiana fan? <laughs> <laughs> Actually. Okay. So I've been to all those places. I live in Utah and I, I know the history of racism for the fans in those areas. And I used to think from being in the arenas and being around the fans, I used to think that Indiana was the most racist place to be for an NBA game. And that's purely based on things that like I've heard shouted from the fans as I'm sitting and like trying to quietly type and do my job. But oh I've God. been, I've been to Boston during playoff games and I've heard things out of those fans' mouths that are just not okay. <laughs> I would imagine that some of those words rhyme with trigger. Don't answer that. I, 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 I think that Boston won our most obnoxious fan base uh, title, so actually you helped 
support a segment we had in the past. I think it was like a couple of years. The Sixers played a playoff series against Boston a couple of years ago. And it was the first game in Boston during that series. And I sat down and it was during warmups. And I heard someone yell out to Joel Embiid and they said, go back where you came from. And I thought, this is where we're starting? Like, that's the starting point during warmups? Where are we going to go from here? And it did not get better. <laughs> okay, let's transition to our last topic for today. It's a segment that Sarah's very familiar with, one of my favorite, but it's also one we haven't done for a while. It's called You've Got Hate Mail, and the segment itself is pretty simplistic, although we're gonna have kind of an interesting twist today. So generally speaking, the segment is this, people are nice enough to write into us and they say really nice things, but not everybody says nice things. Every now and again, we get some real nasty hate mail. We like to read it to you guys and then what we do is we play a little game with it. We guess the age of the author, the profession of the author, and then we actually grade the email itself. But today, Sarah, there's a twist. Today, there's only one question. I've got two emails to read you, and the only question is, who authored the email? Seems easy enough. In fact, there are names. I've got authors on the emails, but as you will see, it might be a more tricky question. So, a little bit of background, and then we'll jump in. Background piece number one. I'd say about three weeks ago, um, one of the first times we did one of these Last Dance segments, we did a ongoing debate on who's the greatest player of all time and naturally we compared LeBron versus Jordan who was not a part of that conversation KD KD is an unbelievable player we have a relationship with KD kind of we have reason to believe that he'd listen to the podcast in the past what's up KD exactly right but (laughs) no he, he hasn't reached the area of where we'd be talking about him there so KD did not become a part of that conversation at all there's our backdrop About four days after we recorded that podcast, on May 5th, 2020, at 2.40 a.m., I got an email from a man named Nasir Khan. Again, 2.40 a.m. This email I'm holding in my hands, printed out, single-spaced. It lasts about a page and a half. It is entitled The Truth, and what it does is break down why KD is a much better player than LeBron in, like, unbelievable painstaking detail Sarah like you'd be awestruck at how many stats they're giving me I'm going to read you the first sentence from this email quote KD averaged 35.2 slash 8.2 slash 5.4 on 56 47 93 and then parenthetically 69.8 percent true shooting in the 2017 finals and averaged 28.8 10.8 7.5 on 53 41 96 and then again parenthetically 60.4 true shooting in the 2018 finals it then goes on for like I said about a page and a half then six minutes later Sarah At 2.46 a.m., also on May 5th, 2020, a man named Matt Tressel sent me an email. Both of these emails went to the Warriors Huddle Gmail account. This email was also entitled The Truth. If I was to print it out, it would be identical length. And here is the first sentence, Sarah. Quote, Katie averaged 35.2 slash 8.2 slash 5.4 on 50 slash or 56 slash 47 plus 93 parenthetically 69.8 percent true shooting in the 2017 finals Uh, without dragging us through it. It is word for word, syllable for syllable, identical Two emails, six minutes apart. 
um, from 2.40 and 2.46 a.m., one from Nazir Khan, the other from Matt Tressel. Sarah, what the f*** is going on? Did, did, did two people come up with a page and a half of stats single-spaced and happen to email the show six minutes apart from one another? Or is something else happening? I need your journalistic take on this because it's confusing me. So amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say it. It's Katie. Holy shit, man. Thank you. Right? I mean, like, okay. So, like, I feel like it's associated with Katie, right? Like, I mean, maybe it's not Duran himself because if it's Duran himself, why the hell would you send two identical emails back to back? You know, like, that's what, what this makes me feel like is he has a team of people that is so large that they that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing and that two people were like oh we need to make sure that this email goes out and then later they realized it was the same one but it was too late um but i i i'm sorry i was just fired up to say that i, I didn't want uh, give me your full response on this Sarah. think through it live you know like, what do you think happened what is this i mean i'm trying to i'm thinking about your fan base okay the people who listen to the huddle i mean for the most part that's got to be warriors fans mm -hmm. i don't think that there's like a ton of non-warriors fans are probably here and there but there's not a ton that oh whoa, whoa, whoa. take it easy take it easy. <laughs> yeah. well and, and people who are mentally unstable who can associate with me yeah. i bet you we've got a good oh, amount of them the world love, listens they to they love this podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> but like for the most part it's warriors fans i doubt that there's like such a hardcore Kevin Durant only fan that's listening to the huddle on a regular basis and is like these guys that think Jordan here here's why and <laughs> two two uh, fans to be clear well uh, someone who drafted this like dissertation and then were got their buddy Matt Tressel who I googled while you were saying that so it could just be the linebackers coach who used to coach at a Michigan State or something like that <laughs> I, I this does Dave. end with go blue. That's interesting. Huh? <laughs> but I, I can't imagine that there's that many people who are that intense about Kevin Durant that would be listening, that would be willing to write that. Like the, the idea that it came from somebody that is closely associated with KD makes sense to me. But I also know the amount of crazy in the world. Right. And so there could just be someone at two thirty, three o'clock in the morning that is like, now nah, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind and tell them what's up. Tell them what's real. I'm going to base it on fact and numbers. But did um, that person then get themselves a second Gmail account, change their name and then resend it to me? And then why would you They just want to make sure that? you got the message. I mean, I, <laughs> this is definitely not two people. It's the same person. So we can just count that out. It's the same I also person. Like and Bram, didn't you say that one of the emails disappeared from your inbox okay so here's the, the uh, yes and let me tell that portion of the story next but also let me say that if it is the same person who then changed their night or name i think it is remarkably entertaining that they cross like a cultural divide <laughs> like matt tressel and nazir khan are like those are two very random distinct names but but sarah Marcus is wrong. So I, I see these two emails. Um, and in fact, I'm taking a walk with my dog on one of the eight nights a week that I tend to drink. And so I've got a little buzz going. I'm getting pretty fired up. And I tell both Marcus and Maxime in separate text message conversations all about this. And, I, and then you can imagine how excited I am. And the next morning, I wake up. And I go back into my Gmail to kind of just re-experience it. You know, I just want to see them both again. And when I do that... There's only one email. There's only one from Matt Tressel. There's no longer one from Nazir Khan. And my first feeling is, oh, shit. 
I was just drunk and I read it twice. Like, oh, like I like, and I texted both of these guys. Like, they're both gonna know that I'm just an idiot. And so I kind of equally like, you know, reach out, like, hey, you know, do you guys still have both these emails? And then thank God both of them did. It justified what I said. In fact, they they were nice enough to forward them back to me. But so I literally in both my sent folder and in my inbox, I no longer had one of these emails, you know, and like, I, I am not a technological savage, you know, maybe there is ways to erase uh, emails from people's inboxes, but I was very surprised by it, man. And it definitely adds to the story. Yeah. I mean, did they come from Gmails? Let's see. Uh, one of them. Yep. Matt Tressel's is a Gmail. And then <laughs> let me check my guy. Yep, Gmail, both of them Gmail. And Nazir has a very fancy middle name. Whoa. Um, so, like, yeah, if these are fake names, this guy spent a lot of time into it. Um, but let's and go for around. Your, just for your education, Sarah, just so you can factor this in, I did the reverse lookup of their email addresses, and neither of them had any background anywhere. So they, they looked like they were just email addresses. So no, I'm, just, I'm just saying the was it Gmail because Gmail does have, I think, I don't know if it's still in beta or not, but they, they are either rolling out or have already rolled out the option to unsend something. Exactly. And you can do it now in the first 30 seconds. You know, um, I can, I can, if, if next time you send an email, look while, while it says sent and there'll act, there literally is an option there to undo it. Um, and I wonder if wow. there's an advanced version of it, but let's, let's go around the horn. Let's put a bow on this. All right. Yes or no. The person who sent this was associated with Kevin Durant. It's so funny because the whole history of Durant and social media and reading stuff is like, it just adds to the hilarity. Why not? Yeah, definitely associated. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say yes, but I have the benefit of seeing the email and the amount of data that was in there. Like <laughs> it did, it didn't make a very good argument. It was just like, it was so quant heavy that it just, I don't compared to seeing and, and get the, the bleep button ready, Max Maxine. But when KD responded to Ethan's request and he was like, fuck your book, fuck your quote, fuck you, you know, just everything like that was not the type of response that was in there. So if it was KD, it was definitely KD's team. And I, I don't know. I think, I think there's a high chance that they sent it from one of the burner accounts and then hit undo and we're like, Oh, don't send it from that one hit undo but it's still sent to you not it's still in data send yeah it to matt. <laughs> and then they were like send it for matt and they sent it for matt <laughs> oh man uh you know i if anybody is as deranged as it seems like somebody like kevin durant who did this would do if that makes any sense, it would be incredibly stat heavy, right? It would just be this like barrage, this waterfall of insane stats. Cause like halfway through reading it, I was like, oh, that's actually, that's a nice stat. Like maybe he has a point here. Um, so, but yes, a hundred percent. Which one, Matt or Nazir's email? Did oh, you good that? question. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I maybe um, Matt put it better than Nazir um, when he said the exact same thing. I'm going to give you guys a follow-up question and I'm going to answer it first. If let's let's assume only for the purposes of this question, we will never know. Um, so who knows, right? Uh, but let's assume for the purpose of this question, it was Durant or someone associated with Durant. Does it make you like him more? I will go first. Resounding yes. Resounding <laughs> yes. 
Absolutely. So, so there's there there's been this, you know, we, we take all these shots at Durant for the supposed weakness that comes along with being a human being because that's what the hell this is, right? I would do this. I am this kind of a guy. And right down to the lack of detail orientation where I've now sent it twice and I'm like, oh no, and I have to take one of them back. <laughs> like that would 100% be me. And if what we have always wanted is our superstars to be more approachable, to not give these pre-prepared answers, to not do the Marshawn Lynch, to not do the yes, no, maybe, to actually be human beings, then that is exactly what we're seeing for Durant. And so, like, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that he can't just admit it, um, and I can associate with that too, but really, if this has anything to do with him, he just rocketed up my favorite player board. He really <laughs> did, because I can associate with him in a way that I cannot associate with any other professional uh, athlete. You know, like this showing of a weakness is something that I can, I celebrate and associate with, not walk away from. But for you guys, so, you know, do you like him more? Like what, what does this, what does this do for your personal relationship with KD? I'd say, I mean, there's still a chance that like Matt and Nasir are roommates and they just really wanted to get their message across. So they drafted <laughs> this email and they were like, let's both send it. Maybe they'll read one of them. That's, <laughs> that's still a chance, you know? And they're like, wait, wait, wait. Okay. It's been six minutes. Send it, send it. It's time. <laughs> yeah. So that Matt and Nasir could be out there and listening and Matt and Nasir, if you are, please email back. That's real. Okay. That's absolutely real. Chances. There's no doubt in my mind that Matt and Nasir are quarantining with KD right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, it, it makes me like him more to, for the exact reason that you said, Bram. Like, I, there's something that is really cool about the possibility that Kevin Durant would just own up to it and just say that he is like, you know, like 80% of the fans out there who are just neurotic about it. Or 100% of the humans, 100% of the fans out there. All of the like, Like one of the things that why people love Curry so much is because they can relate to him. They see somebody who isn't playing above the rim and they'd be like, oh, I can do that. And they relate to that. I think a lot of people would relate to Kevin Durant. Like you just look at the message boards and he behaves and responds the same way that a lot of those people do when you're talking about a sport that you love. So I, I absolutely you know like him more because of it i hope he is you know like he's a faithful listener if so because you know he's <laughs> continues to listen to the pod so um you know and he was you know like we joke around and we give him a hard time about the way he left but you know he he delivered two championships with us so um you know he'll always have a place in the warrior nation for that whether it turns into a statue or not i think it's a different pod but you know like he i, I think if he just owned up to it and just said yeah that's me like that's who i am i think to your point, he would skyrocket up. So many more people would disrespect him at a whole different level. Dude, if he emails us again, I think he needs two statues in front of Chase, one for Matt <laughs> Tressel and one for Nazir Khan. <laughs> so, so um, I, you know, it's, it's very clear that it didn't come directly from KD, but if it did in fact come from his team, look, you know, your management style dictates the chaos that happens underneath you. <laughs> and what I'm trying to say is, if he had a more calm and focused presence. If you say meditate, God damn it, man. Kevin, hit me up. <laughs> it's not, not going to happen, Nassim. You're not going to meditate with him, man. It's just, it's not no, going to no, happen. He's going to meditate with me. <laughs> you you got to okay. understand. Nazir Khan, if you would like to meditate, I, I feel like Maxime, you know, is out here for you. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I have been holding on to this, Sarah. Credit to you. Um, these emails, as I said, came came pretty early May, and it was really important to me that we do this with you because I thought your opinions would be absolutely perfect for the segment, and I wasn't wrong. Um, and I also realized that we've now kept you for an hour, and I thought it was going to be a lot shorter. My apologies there. You have been awesome. You are always awesome, and I know people out there need more Sarah Todd in their life. Help them. Where should they turn? You can follow me on any of the social medias at NBA Sarah or read any of my jazz and NBA coverage at Deseret.com. And you still have the Twitter account at Feed Dogs Chocolate as much as possible. Is is that still yours or you've, you've given up on that one? No, it's just a waving emoji, and it just says, hi, Marcus. <laughs> I can confirm that's correct. <laughs> okay, I didn't want to end this with somebody else being demonstrably funnier than me, Sarah. I feel like we've discussed these rules uh, for us. You want to reach out to us, let us know we are right, wrong, indifferent. Otherwise, we can be hit at warriorshuddle at gmail.com. Our Twitter account is at Warriors Huddle. We appreciate you guys. I believe we're going to be taking next week off, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks. With that in mind, go Warriors. What's up, KD? And we'll uh, see you guys real soon. Good, good.